it's a lovely story, really. It involves a friend, a friend of mine who's quite psychic, and phoning me on a horrible winter's day. It was blustery. It was gaily. It was hailing. It was absolutely awful. And she said, you need to come down to my shop, which was about 45 minutes from where I live, uh, tonight. And I said, I'm not, I'm not driving that 45 minutes down to you. <laughs> Have you seen the weather? And she said, no, you, you, know, you must. Anyway, I trust her as a friend. She's she she's she's never let me down in the past. So, in the car I got, I drove down there, cursing her all the way. I will <laughs> freely admit. Um, and I got there, and I sat there. She said, "You'll have to sit on the floor with me. There's a lot of people here tonight for this presenter." And so I thought, "Oh, great! I've braved this crazy weather, and now I'm sitting on the floor." And so it was a it was a it was a hypnosis uh, presenter. And I thought, what on earth has she dragged me down here? So prior to that, I was a counsellor. And before that, I had worked in the live theatre industry. Oh, really? And with a bit of corporate work in and around that too. Oh, we may have so, to branch out on that. I was an equity stage manager for a few years here in the States. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here I am sitting on the floor thinking, what on earth has she dragged me to this for? This is ridiculous. <clears throat> Absolutely ridiculous. There's some crackpot up there, you know, <laughs> doing this mad thing, you know. This is for me. I mean, I grew up. I grew up with an entertainer, very well-known one in Australia called Spano, used to come to Darwin and entertain us wildly. And I loved. I loved stage hypnosis. Absolutely, I didn't really know much about clinical or, or you know, therapeutic hypnosis. So, um, and then all of a sudden, at some point in the presentation, things changed for me, and I was. I found myself leaning forward, and I thought, if I can tell when she goes into hypnosis, I think I'm onto something here. <laughs> and one, two, three, boom! I saw the exact moment she dropped, and you know, long story short, at the end of the night, there I was out at the front counter signing up for his course, just like that. I yeah. had no intentions of doing that. It was not something I had even ever dreamed of doing, um, and and it changed my life. It really did. And having been a counsellor for so many years before, um, and encountering so many people that counselling does not work for, you know, so well, as in they don't want to talk so much. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I just thought hypnotherapy was the best thing since sliced bread, really. It, it, I just took to it. And that was 20 years ago now. I love that aspect, that, that clarification that for those people that that model of work did not work so well for, which, you know, clearly does state it does work for many of the people most of the time. But here's this application where I, I, I love the catchphrase in the office sometimes that I'm not going to try to reason with the conscious mind. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And look, there are people who do not want to sit around and talk or talk and talk and unpeel the onion mm -hmm. and go over things. And why should they? If that's not what they want to do, then we, you know, it's great to have another method to to bring them to a place where they can be happy about that. So then from there, what was that next step? Was it then about integrating the hypnosis into the counseling or what was that next step? Uh, okay, so I did that first course was uh, was only nine days. It was very short. So what I learned, <clears throat> excuse me, what I learned about that was I needed to learn more. Mm -hmm. So I and then and then of course I had all my guinea pigs and I was doing you know I was doing practice sessions which was quite hilarious. <laughs> I really felt so out of my depth. I felt like you know and and I should say at this point that I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So, yeah, you know. 
I had to really, really learn to adapt, you know, improvise and overcome. Uh, that was a great learning curve. That was really good. So, yeah, so I practiced and practiced and practiced. And then I thought, wow, I like this so much better than counseling. So uh, over the years, I developed, a, a, as we all do, our own unique models of counseling and hypnotherapy and merged it all together. And don't ask me exactly what I do, because I don't think I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Although, is there is there a story of working with a client that kind of stands out in terms of helping to really illustrate how it is that you now work with people. Oh gosh, Jason, now you're putting me on the spot. There's probably, probably several of those stories, several. Look, one springs to mind that's not really relevant to the question, but I feel like I need to share it anyway. I worked with this um, African woman who was a child in the days of Idi Amin. And she'd had a lots and lots of counselling. So she was four years old when her parents, her, her nine, her, herself and her eight siblings and the parents went on the run, being chased by soldiers. And she spontaneously regressed. Now, I did not know. I would not put anyone back into a situation like that. It's oh, not yeah. something I would ethically, but she did it spontaneously. So clearly it needed to clear. So... <clears throat> We had been talking and talking and counselling and counselling and she had that part of herself blocked off very, very nicely and for protection, I mean, clearly for survival reasons. And honestly, in the middle of a bog-standard hypnotherapy session, off she went to that time running through the bush with her siblings and her parents, who, were sh who I might add were shot down in front of all mm. of the children. And then they had to survive out there in the wilds uh, for some time, eating grass and whatever they could get their hands on, really. Anyway, this, this, this spontaneous regression was blew my mind, <laughs> blew my mind. All of the things we'd been trying to get to through counselling, bang, they were right there. Uh, and, and look, it's fair to say, too, that was fairly early days. I think I'd probably only been doing it four or five years. I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest about that. You know, I panicked. So, you know, I first of all did the thing, are you okay to continue, you know, shall we, shall we, you know, stop this? No, 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 no. She wanted to keep going. And I sat there an absolutely riveted, quivering wreck while she processed this whole thing, you know. Uh, it was quite, it was profound. And do you know, she never looked back after that. She came out of it and she went, whoa. Who knew that was there? So again, some more counselling and then some more clearing with hypnotherapy. And, you know, we worked together for another few weeks after that. And that woman went on to write many books about her survival. So hmm. that's probably one of my most profound. Yeah, and I love that aspect of that spontaneous moment. I br briefly have to share my first, one of my first professional sessions had a similar thing. And she suddenly is now speaking in German. Uh, which was which was not necessarily as magical as it sounds because she was still fluent in German. I mean, she survived a crash landing flying from Germany to New York City, and that's part of where, I guess, the fear of flying came from. And the first rush of adrenaline and anxiety was met with the, what the heck do you do with this? And the second rush as after I went, as I pick up that hand and plop it back down, you could speak as if you knew English then. That second rush of anxiety was, what if that didn't work? Uh, <laughs> but it's that it's that willingness to be in the moment and I, I 
I think you might agree on this, that the experience of the theater background that, you know, yes, show must go on, um, you know, having to creatively find a way to send the stage hand out on the stage dressed in all blacks to pick up the book because you're doing three sisters yes. and, and Olga didn't pick up the book she dropped. <laughs> that you have as, to find that way. It was like, we've got to figure this thing out as we go. We can't just stop. That is absolutely correct, isn't it? I mean, it's all about improv. Improv, improv, improv. Okay, this is not going the way I thought it would. So, okay, where do we go? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's fluid and it's flexible. And uh, sometimes you just never know where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. So then from there, what was that next step of, you know, so now you're out there working with clients, integrating that process and together, uh, where do you then take that career? Okay, so then I was floundering around, of course, like <clears throat> like many, many newly, newly qualified hypnotherapists. And I found my way to a little, little uh, hypnotherapy association in Perth, in Western Australia. And I very tentatively started merging with that community and <clears throat> and that was fantastic. You know, uh, I met with like-minded souls, as you do, and, you know, I started to, to, to really blossom then. And a very bossy woman named Sandy took hold of me and said, <laughs> we need you on the committee now. So that then began my committee involvement with hypnotherapy associations. And that, that would be, oh, my gosh, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Um, so I was a part of that committee for a good few years. And then, and the AHA, the Australian Hypnotherapists Association, wasn't even in WA at that point. It was more an East Coast uh, uh, organisation, you know, and something to be aspired to because back in those days too, we were like, oh, oh we'll never be qualified enough to join them, you know. It was, it was quite incredible now that when I think back, on it anyway six of us uh kind of banded together and and formed the first wa branch of the aha and we had to jump through hoops we had to have a psychological test we had to do an exam it was an open book exam but we had to do an exam nonetheless we had to do all of these things we'd never done before and then the aha and wa was formed but because i was a part of the other association i couldn't be uh, officially any part of the AHA and WA. So I was just a member. Mm -hmm. So that, um, but that, that was the beginning of my association with the AHA and also really the beginning of strengthening up my whole hypnotherapy work, life, career. And I remember around that time too, I, <clears throat> I started thinking, right, I can, I can make a living at this. I can make this my life's passion. And I remember my brother-in-law in particular, you know, so upset to go around and say to everybody uh she needs to get a real job what 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 is she thinking what on earth is she thinking you know she needs to get a real job and you know like many of us in this industry people thought i was mental really 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 you know not, not right to pursue this but I remember one of the happiest moments of my life was about five years later when I overheard my brother-in-law. He never, ever told me directly to my face, but I overheard him telling somebody else, uh, well, look at her. We all thought she was nuts, but look at her. <laughs> She's done it. <laughs> 
so yes yeah, so I you know I was I worked part-time for many years like so many of us do and then took the big plunge and jumped in head first and you know uh, bit by bit by bit by bit but my passion is to see hypnotherapy progress in Australia it's still looked at in in ways that you know I would prefer it not be you know a little bit out there mm -hmm. a little bit last resort the mainstream kind of shun it although that is changing it is changing but not as quickly as i would like right it. yeah we find ourselves at a, at a great renaissance of it where you know and it's interesting as i've as i've spoken in events in different countries where you know here in the states we have perhaps the benefit that there's a lot of well stage hypnotist working with high schools and a lot of these kids are interacting with it still and because of that as they're now into the, their adulthood they're aware of it uh, or even just different things in media that as much as there may be, let's call it out, negative depictions and various movies or television shows, my phone still rings and people go, hey, I saw that movie Get Out. I know it's not exactly that, but can you help me with this? And they're logical enough they can make that association. You know, speaking over in the UK last year, where there's not that school aspect of it, yet still it's definitely growing. If you had to kind of characterize it in Australia, how would you describe that? Uh, <clears throat> look, definitely, definitely the interest is growing. There's mm -hmm. no two ways about it. What I have really particularly noticed in the last couple of years is, is, is as an association, we have had so many more doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, and even more importantly, anaesthetists coming yeah. on board with the association. So every time I have a chat with an anaesthetist, it makes my day <laughs> because they <laughs> really, really beginning to embrace it. <clears throat> so, yes, look, we are getting there, and I think in the last couple of years we've, we've taken a great big jump forward. Uh, the, the, as you said yourself, the, the, the movies and the television shows, it doesn't matter how outlandish, outlandish they are, it sparks off that interest in a person who will then make that contact um, and, you know, I think we all experience that. So that's really good. <clears throat> it's a very interesting development. I mean, I, I think the frustration in Australia for us is that so the veterans, for example, you know, the medical medical assistance is still so mainstream. It's like, yes, you can have hypnotherapy, but only with a qualified psychologist or psychiatrist. You can't have hypnotherapy. You know, it's no. No, it's not mainstream enough. You know, we have to keep it mainstream. So that's a battle we're fighting. Mm -hmm. Although it's interesting that, you know, part of the, well, part of the Dave Elman legacy, uh, where he was the non-medical person in the front of the room training a collection of doctors, this class that I just had, and I say this without a, without any traces of an us versus them inside of it. It's instead, here's this useful tool that in that application, here's one way to use it. And even here's a, I mean, I had three doctors in that last class, four counselors, and the joke being, yeah, according to some in the industry, I'm not qualified to teach you. Um, exactly. So let's exactly. begin class, <laughs> which to look at, which I mean, I'm very clearly at times, though, referring out to even previous students or even just folks I know in the area that here's someone, she is a doctor of psychology who happens to do hypnosis. And I'll call it out first to go, you're using terminology I'm not familiar with. And I think you're going to be more comfortable working with this specific person. Here's their information. So it's, uh, and yeah. at times even where she's referring to me, because as she puts it, I don't have the interest in talking to people to quit smoking. 
I really want them to quit, but that's not my specialty. I'm going to send those people to you. So to look at it as that symbiotic relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And more and more of that is happening, which is really good to see. Absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant to see. I have a couple of doctors. I live in a very small town. In, it's smack in the middle of Australia, Alice Springs, in the desert. And I have a few doctors there who, who are exactly the same thing. I want my patients to give up smoking. So Maylin's the only one in town. Off they go. Um, it's a it's a great relationship. And, and it's, a, it's a great relationship to foster. You know, I meet with... Uh, with the, the local bunch of psychologists fairly regularly. I know most of them. Um, so, you know, we have to work together. We have to and and begin more understanding and more cooperation, more, more of everything, really. So then the state of the AHA, the Australian Hypnotherapist Association, what's kind of the history? Because I know that is around here, actually around the world, one of the oldest hypnosis organizations that's out there. It certainly is. And in keeping with what we've just been discussing, when they formed in 1949, um, it was by a group of therapists who'd already been in practice individually for years. Now, back in those days, it was all but illegal to do so unless you were a psychologist, a doctor or a dentist. So they were truly, truly groundbreakers, pioneers of the industry. And we do have our Hall of Fame, you know, uh, specifically for those people. So basically, um, they they got together in 1949. They formed at the, the association in 1958, 1958 or 1956, 1958. And then they opened it to doctors, dentists, social workers, psychologists, um, anyone who was a member of what was then called the guidance branch of the education department. So that also included marriage guidance counsellors and, you know, the the psychs in private practice. So they started teaching those people. So in exactly, you know, what you've just described in your own recent class, um, that's what they started doing, bringing, bringing. and, And of course, that was working towards bringing hypnotherapy out of the quack uh, you know, perception and into the mainstream, so to speak. So that's how it started. And they 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 lectured and they they taught and they, you know, people who wanted to be members, if they were, if their training wasn't quite up to scratch, they 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 you know gave them more training. Uh, it was quite incredible this bunch of people, and that started in Melbourne, in Victoria. The, the, the growth of it, at what point in that journey did that uh, convention first start to appear? The, the, as in the conference, you mean? Yes. Ah, look, quite a long, long time. I think the first conference, now you're stretching my memory here, <laughs> I think. And exact first, dates, please. And yeah, no. <laughs> I think it might have been in the 90s, actually. Yeah. I think it might have been the late 90s. Do you know what? I really can't even answer that question. I know that there was one. Uh, the first huge one was in 2009, but there were smaller ones. Now, you've got to also remember, too, back in those days, those very early days, people didn't travel around Australia mm-hmm. nearly as much as they do now. Airfares were prohibitive, absolutely prohibitive. So things, you know, things tended to be very local. Um, so... Yeah, I would say probably 2009 was the first what we could term a world conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. 
And then we had one in 2004. We do them every five years. And the reason we do them every five years is because the AHA is mostly a volunteer organization. Yes. And, uh, you know, very few of us have the time or the space to do this every year. It's a, as you know, it's a huge task. Absolutely. So then the, the shape of the speakers or what, what kind of backgrounds do they often come from? Oh, the speakers at the conference? Yes. Oh, gosh, how long's a piece of string, Jason? How long is a piece? <laughs> Basically, we choose a theme for that conference. And then, you know, of course, we put out the call for abstracts. And then anything that, uh, you know, strikes our fancy, basically, and go, wow, okay, this is a little bit of a different take on that. This is good. This is good. So there's there's not really any criteria, no hard and fast criteria. Uh, there's a subcommittee of the conference committee that get together and say, this would be interesting. Oh, I haven't seen this done before. This is a new concept. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty hit and miss, really. There's no great scientific, uh, you know, process behind the choosing. <laughs> Do they tend to be people, let's let's use the old terminology, which may have been negative at one point, out of the lay hypnotist, the medical hypnotist? What tends to be that background? All and everything. I love it, yeah. All and everything. So uh, this one coming up, for instance, we've got some some old stalwarts of the uh, of the industry. You know, Rob McNeely, for instance, you know, he, he did training with Ericsson himself. So um, it's, you know, he's been around for, forever and a day. Uh, so yeah, we've got a nice combination of, you know, there's a, there's a couple of psychologists presenting, there's people who've been around for donkey's years, there's newer people, there's people with a different take, you know, so a fertility specialist, you know, a medical fertility specialist is presenting about resilience in, uh, with, uh, with fertility issues. So yeah, yeah, again, no hard and fast rules, it's just whatever appeals yeah and that theme this year the 2019 world conference of resilience bender break uh yes. what's kind of the thought behind that well that's the big buzzword around the world with yes. so much you know is how do we how and, and not just not just in business i know you're coming from a business perspective uh but you know the world is so uncertain that there <laughs> don't start me on that <laughs> <laughs> no 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 everything's clearly going well right now <laughs> <laughs> so, but it has become a real theme you know with a, a generational theme where resilience is is maybe something that the entire world needs to work on you know how do we flow with this so I think, you know, uh, I'm trying to be very careful here. I'm sure you can pick that up. You know, um, the younger generations are not resilient, not resilient, you know, in so many different ways. <clears throat> and then you've got the older generations that are going, you should be this and you should, mm -hmm. well, maybe that's <laughs> not right either, you know. So it's, you know, resilience has a whole different different uh, look to it. What is resilience? <laughs> Well, well, I mean, it? yeah, there's something beautiful about there's multiple sides to that, that I mean, first of all, on a business perspective, to look at, you know, markets are going to change where people decide to spend their time, their energy, and even their money is going to change. And it's that willingness to kind of meet people where they are and where their needs are that um, I kind of first started seeing clients professionally kind of at the height of here in the U.S., the mortgage crisis, when all of the money was on fire in this country. Uh, mm -hmm. And it became this 
kind of cool moment of suddenly realizing like, here I am in my first year of being a hypnotist and almost the majority of clients I was seeing were test anxiety people who were adults who were having to pass an exam so they could be licensed now to do the job they had already been doing for going on 30 yeah. years. And that's something that, that, that specific need is now it's almost 10 years later and it's kind of moved on to something else. So, you know, and very clearly people weren't spending money on other issues, but that was one specific category that by dumb luck, my office was next door to the testing site. Uh, so that helped. But then too, looking at, you know, I, I hear this dialogue so often which I may go off on my own soapbox here, that at various events or even workshops, even online, about how do you see clients and not take on their problems? How do you take on and not take on that negative energy? And for me, it's that mindset that if that's a concern, you're connecting with the wrong part of that client. If we are meant to be that results-oriented approach, let's connect with them as the result, bring them along for the ride, and with that mindset, I, I can leave the office after a full day of sessions with the same energy I walked in with. Because yes. now, no matter the challenging issue, everything becomes good to great. That is such a valid point, too. You know, I mean, my, my favorite phrase with that is compassionate detachment. Nice. Yeah. You know, you have to have compassionate de detachment. You know, yes, you care. But yes, you have to walk out of that office without lying awake all night thinking about their problems uh, you won't last five minutes if you're going to go down that road and um and it's not in your best interest it's not in your family's interest it's not in anyone's best interests to do that so that's a very very strong side of resilience and i see so many people burn out so quickly because they don't know how to develop that compassionate detachment that's a great way of phrasing that mm mm yeah, it's a very, very valid thing. And, you know, the, the way everything's changing, you know, you made a really good point with that. You know, I remember a few years ago when all of the, um, the uh, you know, uh, what do you call them, like lifeline, you know, the, the, the phone, um, when you're in crisis, you ring a phone number. Yes. And of course, they had to spend in Australia, and I'm sure the rest of the world, they had to spend millions, all of those organisations had to spend millions and millions of dollars to cross over from actual phone voice to voice to messaging systems because the younger generations were coming through and going, I don't want to speak to somebody. I want to be able to type it out on my phone. Yeah, to recognize, again, just different trending type things. And at the same time, <laughs> let's call it the resilience in the other direction. Uh, here's the person who calls me up to quit smoking a few years ago, and I go through my standard routine of what's the best email address I can send a confirmation to? And he goes, I don't do email. It's like, okay, <laughs> perfect. What's your mailing address? And the wonders of online automation, I set his uh, schedule reminders to come to me. I printed them out and I shoved them in an envelope and put a stamp on it. So <laughs> the, the mindset of flexibility, see people where they are and give them the tools that they need rather than going, this is not how it's supposed to be going anymore. This is not how we used to do it. The, the way that we would utilize in a hypnosis session. There's noises outside. We're going to make use of that and bring that into the Absolutely. process rather than try to pretend it's not. I mean, back to the theater career, the, the actor would drop something on the stage by accident and they'd play the game of, if I don't look at it, the audience won't notice it. Yeah. And, and now the audience for the next 20 minutes is going, is that book supposed to be there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
absolutely. No, I hear you. That's uh, it's so so true. Um, <clears throat> I once I once had an unplanned uh, jackhammering outside my uh, clinic room. And, you know, the counsellor is supposed to warn you about things like that. But, I, you know, well, I don't know. The letter didn't arrive. I didn't see it. I don't know what happened. But um, mid-session, here's this jackhammering starting up. And so, of course, as you say, right, okay, let's just adapt and improvise here. Let's go in and say, and that jackhammer, that jackhammer is exactly what your subconscious mind is doing <laughs> right now. And the more you become aware of that jackhammer, the deeper and deeper you go and the more profound the results. And it goes so well, you want to record the sound effect of the jackhammer and start playing it in every session, yeah. right? <laughs> so true, so true. So I know uh, this is coming out almost exactly one month before the Australian Hypnotherapist Association 2019 World Conference. Uh, for those that are not yet signed up for that, uh, share with us a little bit more about what they can look forward to at that event. Okay. Well, welcome drinks on Friday, a good networking opportunity. Um, then two full days of presenters. I think we have 23 presenters all up over two-day period in Brisbane, uh, 13th to the 15th of September 2019 beautiful sunny sunny Brisbane um, we have a gala dinner on Saturday night at a lovely restaurant that gives you a beautiful view of Brisbane uh, but but ultimately it's just a wonderful networking event so you can learn a lot you can meet a lot of national and international uh, uh, hypnotherapists I, I love these weekends I come home absolutely exhausted after them but uh i think everybody gets so much out of them outstanding and we'll put links to that over in the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com and malin it's been awesome having you on here any final thoughts to share with the listeners out there well keep moving hypnotherapy forward basically let's continue doing what we love and bringing it into the forefront <laughs> <laughs> 